0: So, I, I have a lot of stories about my kids. Um, I guess because I have a lot of kids and they provide me with lots of stories, right? Uh, so, I was thinking, there's, our kids surprise us a lot of the time in a lot of different ways, like just catch us off guard, right? And uh, some are more extreme than others. I was telling you a little bit about Cooper, our one and a half year old, last time that we were together. And uh, he, what Lauren and I term it, uh, just hawks out every once in a while. Um, so he'll be, we'll be doing something and then he'll get angry, whether it's something that somebody did to him or he's just frustrated with himself because something's not working right. And then he just hawks out. He just like picks up whatever's closest to him and he just throws it. Like it could be a chair, it could be a toy. And if anybody gets in the way of that, then you're going to be hurt, right? And so... For him, like, you can tell very quickly uh, when he's angry and he wants to get your attention. He just picks something up near him and throws it. Um, he's got anger issues. Hopefully, we're, we're hoping that, you know, over the years that it will calm down. Um, our girls are a little bit different, especially uh, Ellie. I can think of a handful of times, and one in particular, um, and I think she actually did it two times just like this. It's like she, she has this... She's five now, um, but she has, like, this uncanny ability to get scared at night, um, but only on nights when it's, like, really stormy. And I guess that makes sense. But, so she'll come down in the middle of a stormy night, and she's done this a couple of times, and she doesn't, like, try to wake us up. She'll, like, sneak in our room very quietly, doesn't, like, try to wake us up or anything. Uh, she'll just stand there. And then it's happened at least twice I can think of where literally she was standing in the like in the the window of our front of our bedroom. There's a big window in the front, and uh, there's just enough light from like the storm and the lightning coming through. Uh, and you know what, that feeling when somebody's just staring at you. Like it doesn't matter if you're asleep or anything. Like all of a sudden you just feel that. I, that's the, one. That's just weird in and of itself. I don't even know where that comes from. But you can just like feel somebody staring at you. And so I felt that one night, and I I like. I wake up, I open my eyes, and it's like a crack of lightning right then, and it's the silhouette of my daughter, and she has hair in her face, and she's looking at the ground. She's not looking at us. She's looking at the ground. Her hair is covering her face like any creepy horror movie that you've seen a preview for even, you know, when they have little girls in it. It's like hair all in her face, and she just stands there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, and then Lauren flips out because I'm flipping out. I'm like, look right there. That's ridiculous. I, I am not even making that up, not even a little bit. You can ask my wife like that. But talk about like surprising us and catching us off guard. She does it very subtly. She's not even talking. And now it's like she, her, she's given that gift to her sister. Um, and Annabelle, uh, she hasn't done it during a stormy night, but literally like two weeks ago, I woke up and I'm like laying on my side this way and I wake up because I have that feeling again like somebody's staring at me. And she is right here, like <laughs> all up in my face. And you think, like, when I, my eyes open, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, she doesn't say a word. She doesn't even like speak at all." And then she just climbs in bed with me, and I'm like, "You can't do it. no, not all. <laughs> that is not even sweet, even the littlest bit. It's scary." Um, so m- my kids, they, and there's lots of different ways that they get our attention. And any kid, uh, they they do a good job of of. Doing sometimes even extreme things to get people 's attention right and th- those are just a, a few e- examples for you tonight we 're talking about uh, this story in exodus where, where God is is the one getting the attention of, of, of some people in this story and it 's one that probably most of you are somewhat familiar with at least it's it 's uh, the account of the ten plagues and and, and kind of what God is doing in the midst of that so we we left off last week. Um, with the story of Moses and the burning bush. Uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, uh, or just a reminder to everybody, a reminder to parents that uh, we started last semester, that we are working our way through all of Scripture, uh, literally from the beginning to the end, to see how the thread of the gospel, the thread of who Jesus is, um, is, is in there throughout all of Scripture, even from the very beginning, before he was even born, that that was part of God's plan, part of God's ultimate rescue plan for humanity after things got broken in Genesis 3, uh, the plan has always been Jesus. Um, And there's so many things throughout Scripture that keep pointing to that, keep pointing to that, keep pointing to that before Jesus is even on the earth. Um, And so what we're trying to do as we go through all of Scripture is point that out to you. How does the gospel relate um, in Exodus before Jesus was even uh, on the earth? And so uh, we're going to do that again tonight. in the story of the plagues and in the Passover, which is the last of the plagues. Um, so that's what we're looking at tonight. We're going to be in Exodus 7. Um, Exodus, actually, this happens in Exodus chapter 7 all through until uh, Exodus chapter 12. So that's five chapters of Scripture. That's a lot. Um, so we're going to summarize a lot tonight as well. Um, we took It took us a whole semester to get through Genesis, which, I mean, it's long. It's got lots of stuff in it. Uh, And now we're working our way through Exodus. So, I mean, maybe in five years we'll be through the whole Bible. I don't know. Um, But Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to start tonight. And again, this is Moses. Uh, We left off last week. Uh, The people of Israel, God's chosen people, were all in Egypt, and they were slaves there. They grew in numbers rapidly um, after Joseph and his generation died off. Uh, They grew in numbers rapidly. Uh, The people of Egypt got scared decided to put them in slavery uh, so that they wouldn't attack them and and wouldn't be attacked by the the people of Israel and be taken over by them. So they made them their slaves instead uh, and worked them really hard. And last week we talked about how this God that we serve is a God who sees his people, a God who hears his people, a God who knows his people, and a God who delivers his people. Um, And so now we're going to talk about the actual way he went about delivering uh, the people of Israel so Exodus 7, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 7 kind of gives us a summary of where we're at. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother, brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So Moses had already called, uh, or God had already called Moses to set the people of Israel free um, from the Egyptians. And this is kind of the beginning of that. He tells them, the generalities of it. So again, this is one of the things that even in these just first seven verses shows me. Uh, God always knows what's going on, right? I say that a lot in here. God always is in control. He's never surprised. He's never like, oh my gosh, like in the midst of this story, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. I don't even know what I'm going to do. He knows exactly what he's doing all the time. He's never caught off guard or surprised. Uh, he always knows what's going on. He always knows with your life and all the specifics of your life, he's never caught off guard by the circumstances that you're in the midst of right now. Uh, he knows what's going on. He knows what happens. Uh, he knows our future, as we just sang. Uh, so we're gonna look at a little bit at these plagues. This is kind of how God decides to go about it, uh, is bring these plagues on the people, uh, these Egyptians, until they decide to free the people of Israel. Uh, again, some of this you're probably familiar with, a lot of you, Um, we're gonna track through it real quick. Um, He's going, God's going to get the people's attention with these plagues, and and again, the people of Israel are slaves. Uh, Moses is sent by God. Um, He's told by God that he has been, that him and the people of Israel have been seen, have been heard, have been known by God at the burning bush, and that he's to deliver them. Uh, Moses says yes. It says in verse, what, five that I just read, or or no, verse uh, six, Moses and Aaron did so, said so they did just as the Lord had commanded them. So they are ready to be obedient. They're obedient to what God's calling them to do. They don't know fully what God's plan is. Uh, they don't know all the details, but they say yes regardless. So they know God wants to use them. They know God wants to use them to deliver the, these people, but he didn't give them a detailed plan of exactly how it was going to happen, uh, and so, but, they, but they say yes anyway. And so then we go to the, the first plague, and this is uh, chapter 7, verses 20 through 25. You see the first plague. Uh, this first plague is is uh, basically they, they turn the, the Nile River uh, into blood. They turn the Nile River into blood. And why that matters and why that is a big deal, then it's not just like a river for us, right? Um, that's their source of water, source of all the water for their crops for them to drink, for all that sort of stuff that all comes from this river. That's why they are living by the Nile River. And so it's a source of life for them in a lot of ways. Um, And so Moses puts a staff in the water and it turns the Nile River into blood. And of course, it kills the fish and kills lots of things in there. Um, But then in verse 22, it says, The magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. So these magicians... Uh, could, of pharaohs could do the same thing. And so, of course, that's going to kind of lessen the blow. If if these magicians that's, that are working for pharaoh can do the same thing that this guy who's saying he's from God is doing, then pharaoh's not too concerned. Um, and so that's, that's not enough. Um, so then after that, the second plague happens in chapter 8. Uh, the first kind of seven verses there you see... Uh, It's a plague of frogs, which, you know, frogs sound cool to me, just kind of hopping along, hanging out. Um, It's not like they're vicious, they're going to bite you or anything. Have anybody ever been bitten by a frog? I don't don't think so. Yeah? Yeah? Does it hurt? Not really, right? Uh, You could eat some frog, right? Some frog legs, that's good, I hear. Uh, But this, when it describes it, it says the frogs will be in their houses uh, uh, all in their beds, uh, it might be hard to sleep with a bunch of frogs in your bed, I would imagine, uh, in their kitchens and all their stuff. So it'd be like constantly just this, it's not just a few frogs that you're like going to have as a pet, right? It's, it's all over everywhere. Um, and then maybe one of the worst parts is at the end of that, when they all die, then there's like this stink that fills all of Egypt, I would imagine, of just dead frog everywhere, Right? Uh, so that's the second plague. Again, there's this there's this pattern. Well, again, in this time, it says that in verse 18, 8, 18, the magicians, uh, or no, sorry, not that far down, uh, 8, 7, the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up out on the land of Egypt. So they could do the same thing. So again, the magicians could do it. Um, Pharaoh probably wasn't too concerned. It says he hardened his heart. His heart was hardened still, uh, wouldn't let the people go. Then the third plague happens. Uh, some versions say gnats, others say lice, uh, just bugs that are going to get on. It specifically says on man and on beast, like they're going to be all over. So whether it's a gnat or or lice, it's just this little bug that's going to be on you, which sounds really pleasant, right? Um, and then this is the first of the plagues that the magicians can't uh, do themselves. It says in verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce uh, gnats or lice, but they could not. Um, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened still and he would not listen to them. So that doesn't do it. Then there's flies and it's so much that they cover the ground. So even when they're walking, they're like walking on top of flies. That's how many there are. Um, I know we don't even like really get the full idea of how much and the mass of all these things. Um, plague number five was the livestock. The livestock of all the Egyptians are killed. Uh, and that's more than just like, Again, if you think about it, that's their livelihood. That's where their meat comes from. That's where uh, they use those animals to work. They don't have vehicles, so they use those animals to, for the transportation. Uh, they use those animals to buy and sell. They use uh, livestock to get all their milk and those kind of things. So this is like a plague that's starting to destroy the livelihood of the people of Egypt. And it says, again, you see at the end of this, if you read, you can take time and read all through Exodus 7 through 12. And at the end of every plague, you'll see this same uh, phrase over and over, but Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Um, Or the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, it says sometimes. Um, And so he hardens his heart again. That doesn't do it. Then there's the plague number six, which is boils. Uh, Boils, just think of like a really nasty sore on your body and then all over your body, all of them. Uh, nasty, disgusting, red, raised. I would imagine itchy. Um, you can't like sit down. You can't stand up and be comfortable. You're just not comfortable at all. This so all the Egyptians uh, got boils all over the body. And again, God is is sparing His people from these things. Um, that doesn't do it. Pharaoh's heart still hardened. Plague number seven is hail. Um, hail comes down and destroys all the plants, destroys the land, fire, it says, even comes down. Um, That doesn't do it. Then number eight is locusts. This is in chapter 10. Uh, Locusts come, so many that it it made it dark. There were so many locusts that came swarming out that it made it dark outside, uh, that it blocked out a lot of the sun. Uh, And then they ate up everything that the hail didn't destroy uh, as far as plants go. Um, And then... uh, Plague number nine is darkness. It was dark for three days. This is in chapter 10, verses 21 through 27. Um, and so it was dark for three days where they, it says in 1023, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise for, from his place for three days. It was so dark that they couldn't move without running into things, and so everybody just kind of stayed where they were at for three days. Uh, three days straight of darkness. I had to get a really good nap, at least, you know. Um, then plague number 10 is the one that I really want to spend the time on. Passover. Plague number 10 is Passover. This is in chapter 12. Um, I'm going to start reading. Well, 12. The Lord says to Moses, this is 12:1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt: This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Um, and then he starts giving them these directions of what to do for the Passover, this thing called the Passover. Uh, and, and one of the things that I want to highlight, verse 5, he says, so they're supposed to get a lamb, uh, and, and it says, number, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, uh, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Uh, and then verse, jump down to verse 7, it says, then they shall take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the two-door two post and on the, the overhead, the lintel of the houses which, with which they eat. So they're supposed to cover their door frame with this blood from this lamb that's, that's a perfect lamb without any blemish, without any, anything wrong with it. It has to be perfect. Um, and then we're going to jump to 21. So Exodus 12, verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, so after God had told Moses these things, he, he's telling the people now. So he calls all the leaders of the, the people of Israel, and he says to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans. And kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and then on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you. Some versions say destroyer, some versions say angel of death to enter your houses and to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall, you shall keep this service. So he's saying, even, so you're going to do this tonight, and it's going to save you, and it's going to save your sons. And then even after tonight, after I free you and I take you to the land that you're supposed to go to, the promised land, you're going to still do this in remembrance of what happened. So you're going to do this every, every so often, have this Passover meal so that you can tell people, Uh, And tell your kids what happened as you have this meal and why you're having this meal. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Verse 28, the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And then verse 29, it says, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. In in Egypt, there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you, as you have said. And be gone. And bless me also. So the last of these um, plagues is this is the worst one, this Passover. And so God says, I'm going to send a destroyer or an angel of death. And he's going to come and kill all the firstborn. And only the homes that have this blood of an unblemished land on their doorposts and across this their doorframe, whoever does that and has this blood on their doorpost will be passed over and will be spared, and they won 't die, and they'll escape death, but only by the blood of that lamb, right? Look at John 129. I think we'll have it up here for you. John 129 John 129 this is John speaking um, It says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and this is what he says about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then if you go to 1 Peter, which is near the end of your Bible, um, before 1 John. Actually before 2 Peter, which is before 1 John. uh, 1 Peter verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. We'll have it up here for you as well, I think. Uh, Yeah. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, uh, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And there's other places in Scripture where you'll see uh, Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God. But this is what Passover is supposed to point to. So even in the Old Testament, as this is the whole point of what we're doing this semester and the next following semesters as we go through beginning to end, is that even in, in the Old Testament... It's screaming Jesus. So the whole point of the Passover, the whole point of putting that blood on their doorpost, of a, specifically an unblemished, a perfect, without spot, without any problems, without any imperfections whatsoever, lamb, killing that and using that blood. And the blood of the lamb is the only thing that saves people. So if, if they did not have the blood of a lamb, of this perfect lamb, on their doorpost, they would be killed. The firstborn in that house would be killed. And all that is meant to point to Jesus and what God's ultimate rescue plan was going to be and, and, and has been from the very beginning is that only the blood of Jesus is good enough to cover us. Only the blood of Jesus can spare you from death, can spare me from death. That's it. Nothing else. It wasn't the blood of a lamb plus this or that or the other. It's the blood of the lamb. And once that's seen, then you get passed over by the angel of death. The blood of the lamb is the only thing that can save you. And this in Exodus, a long time before Jesus ever comes, is pointing to Jesus. And him as the ultimate lamb, perfect and spotless without any blemish whatsoever. And his death and his blood, they could cover all of us. Uh, I'm a, definitely more of a visual learner. I need, the, I need to see things uh, in order for them to stick. And so in case there's people like that, I want you to see. We've watched some similar video, videos uh, but I want you to watch this video. It gives kind of a summary of everything that I just talked about. But it's good just to see, again, for me, just to see images that back up everything that I just read. So hopefully it will stick with you more. And I love the way they, they kind of explain these things as well. Um, so we're going to watch this, and then i got a little bit more.
1: God's Story, Passover. So part of God's story is about Passover, and it goes like this. It all started when the Israelites were stuck as slaves in Egypt. They were forced to work in fields and make bricks and mortar. Worse, the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, and the other people in charge, didn't care if God's family was hot or tired or hungry or sad or hurt or just plain miserable. And they were. But even in the middle of all that, God's family grew. In fact, they got so big that Pharaoh was scared they might attack and overpower him. He made them work even harder to show them he was boss. Soon the Israelites were even more miserable. They begged God for help. Well, guess what? God saw what Pharaoh was doing to his family and he didn't like it one bit. So he planned a rescue. He sent a man named Moses to lead God's family out of Egypt and into a brand new beautiful home called the Promised Land. But when Moses told Pharaoh to let God's family leave, Pharaoh said no. Remember, Pharaoh thought he was the boss. The thing is, God is really in control and even rulers of countries should obey him. So nine different times, God sent plagues to show Pharaoh his power. The plagues were like punishments to Egypt for keeping God's family as slaves. After each one, Moses asked Pharaoh to let God's family go, but Pharaoh kept saying no. Then Moses told Pharaoh that God loves his family so much that he will rescue them no matter how many times Pharaoh refused to obey. So there would be one more plague, one that would wipe out the oldest son in every house in Egypt. But of course, God had a special plan for his family. He told them to take their best lamb or young goat, kill it, and paint the blood on the door frame. Then they should eat the meat with bitter herbs and some flat bread made without yeast called unleavened bread, which is cheap and can be made quickly. In fact, God asked his family to eat the whole meal as if they were ready to run right out the door with their shoes on and their walking sticks in hand. They obeyed. Good thing too, because that very night, the angel of death came. But just like God promised, he passed over the houses with blood on the door. Finally, Pharaoh realized God was in charge and that God loved his family, and that Pharaoh couldn't stop God's rescue plan. He said God's family should get far away from Egypt. They left in a hurry. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after that, God's family celebrated the night God rescued them by eating unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and lamb. But that rescue was just a preview to the big rescue God had planned for the whole world. Remember, the ruler of this world, the devil, wants us to work for Him and live bitter, sad lives, separated from God. And we all do wrong things sometimes and deserve to die as punishment. So God sent His very own Son to earth. He lived the perfect life we should have lived and died the awful death we should have died. But three days after He died, Jesus came back to life. That means He got rid of death and it can't separate us from God anymore. And you know what? Right before Jesus died, He celebrated Passover one last time, but without the Lamb. See, Jesus showed us that he is our lamb. And just like the lambs died so that the sons could stay with their families, Jesus died so that we can be part of God's family. One day he'll recreate a perfect home for us and it'll be even better than the promised land. And that's the story of Passover. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God's family was miserable. They begged God for help. God planned a rescue, Pharaoh said no. God showed his power. The oldest sons had to die. Lambs took their place. God rescued his family. They celebrated Passover. Death was our punishment too. God sent his son. He took our place. God rescued us. And that's a part of God's story.
0: So one of the things that, I just like watching kid videos, you know. Um, But one of the things I love about how they explained it in that video too is that, if you read uh, the Last Supper, which most of you are probably familiar with, if you have read some of the Bible before, the last meal that Jesus has before uh, he dies, like it said in that video, with his disciples, they didn't have lamb like they usually do at the Passover meal because he knew he was the lamb. Like he did that intentionally. Again, this is important. This is like from the beginning that was always the plan. Uh, that that this lamb is just supposed to point to Jesus being the lamb of God, the one who actually delivers us all from death and frees us from, like he freed his people, the people of Israel, he freed them from death, but then he also frees them right after that, right from slavery and, and lets them go. Um, but Jesus also came to free us from slavery to sin, from slavery to, again, like it said in that video, Satan is the god of this world, is how scripture puts it. And so he frees us from being under him, under Satan. Uh, And it said that he ransomed us. That word ransom means uh, to, if you look it up in the dictionary, to release from bondage by paying a demanded price. So again, the bondage that we're in is sin. If you read scripture, it says uh, in Romans that the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death, like sin gets you death. And that the only payment that can be accepted to pay for sin is death. And so Jesus paid that ransom for us with his life to free us. And that's the whole point of this in Exodus is to point to what Jesus was going to do uh, for, for all of us. Uh, so a couple things that as it applies to you personally. A couple things in here that stood out to me. Uh, one, like I said, this is just kind of like a side note deal. When you read through that account of from Exodus 7 to Exodus 12, Moses and Aaron, it says constantly in there, there's this phrase over and over again, uh, that they followed all that God commanded them, that they were obedient to what, exactly what God commanded them. And so these two guys, they keep saying yes to whatever God's calling them to, but they don't even know the full details of the plan. So they, are, it's not like God wrote out everything for them and said, hey, this is exactly how it's going to happen. He just said, hey, I'm going to use you to deliver my people and I need you to say yes to that. And they said yes. And then as all the details unfold, then they see it uh, like as it's happening. But they trust God enough to go where he's calling them to go and to do what he's calling them to do. As silly as it may look or as it may seem, uh, they keep saying yes. And so when I read that, uh, what convicts me as I read that is I want to always be somebody that just says yes. To what God is calling me to do. And, and I shouldn't, and you shouldn't expect God to write all the details out for you. As he, as he calls you somewhere, as he commands you to do something, you can't hold God to this thing where you're like, well, I'll do this, but you got to tell me exactly how it's going to happen, because that's not how he works. A lot of times, and most of the time, I would say, if you read through scripture, and if you probably experience in your own life, that he will call you to do things without giving you all the details, and just say, "Trust me enough to follow where I'm leading you." Uh, and then of course, with this whole idea of, of being freed um, and being ransomed, and that the blood of the lamb being the only thing that can they can pay for that. Uh, that we were bought with a price, that's what it says in Corinthians as well, that we were bought with a price, that you were bought with a price, I was bought with a price, and the price was Jesus' life. And so, one, you, you can't save yourself, you can't do enough good things in your life to outweigh the bad things, and that make you okay. You can't have more good things, like a list of if you go through your life and have a list piled up of, here's all the good things I've done, and here's all the bad things I've done. As long as the good is is outweighing the bad, then I'm good. That's not truth. You may want to believe that, but that's not truth. The truth is, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can make you good, make you righteous. Is the only thing that's good enough for you. And so the sooner that you can fully believe that, that it's not anything that you do that adds to God loving you. You know, a lot of times people feel like uh, guilty and and uh like they're not good enough for God, but then all the time, a lot of times people feel like, man, if I just do more good stuff and I read my Bible all week this week, um, then God loves me more. That's not true. God loves you perfectly today and he will love you perfectly tomorrow and he will love you perfectly for the rest of your life. He will love you perfectly and it's not based on your actions. It's based on how good he is. He doesn't love you because you're so awesome. He loves you because he's so awesome. And that seems like a basic thing, but so many people don't believe that. And so then you live your life trying to work harder to please God. You try to work to make him happy. And what this is saying, what we just talked about, Jesus paid the ransom for you and for me. He paid the price of sin, which is death, so that I don't have to pay it. And so many of us still try to pay it on our own. It's like when people try to pay for your meal or pay for this, and then you, like, try, because of your prideful, like, try to pay for them. Like, no, I'll do it, no, I'll do it, no, I'll do it. Like, he paid for something for you at a very steep cost so that you don't have to work to pay it. You you have to get that. You have to understand that that it's not up to you. Uh, And so, whatever ways that you try that, if you're honest with yourself, if you do ever feel like, well, I feel closer to God this week because, uh, or I feel like He loves me more this week because I did this, this, and this. You may feel that way, but feelings aren't truth. A lot of the time, a lot of times, feelings are deceiving. Feelings aren't bad, but, but they are, they're deceiving a lot of the times. The truth is God loves you perfectly today and he'll love you perfectly tomorrow. And he hopes that you get that. And he hopes that you understand that. And he hopes that you understand what he's done and that he's given his life for you so that you can be free from sin and not have to be a slave to it anymore. But so many of us are still slaves to our sin because we're still trying to work our own way to be free from it. So know that. Know that he's the only one that can free you from that. And until you trust him fully in that, that he has freed you, uh, then you'll still be missing out. Uh, and then the other thing that i see seen here, the last thing, it says several times about Pharaoh doesn't just say that his heart was hardened. There's several verses that say the Lord hardened his heart. Um, Even at the very beginning in Exodus 7 when he's explaining things to Moses, in 7 verse 3 it says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So there's this aspect of God even saying he's hardening, hardening Pharaoh's heart. What is that? That's always like tripped me up of like why would God do that? But then he goes on to explain. Uh, in Exodus, he explains why he's doing it. If you look at Exodus nine sixteen, it says this. And this is God speaking. It says, "But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you My power, so that My name may be may be proclaimed in all the earth." Um, and he says that throughout several places uh, in this as well. In Exodus uh, eight. Verse 22, he says that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. He's trying to show people who he is. He's willing to use uh, drastic means to do that, to show people who he is. And so God will do things to get your attention sometimes. Things to get your attention to say, this is who I am. Uh, And it's always better to follow him than to follow our own plans. Like, that's what I see in here as well, which I continue to see in all of Scripture. The guys and the people that are following what God wants them to do versus the people that are just doing their own thing. Uh, it always works out better for the people that choose to follow him. It's not easy to follow him. It, it costs you a lot. But it's always better to follow him. Uh, and he'll continue to show his power. He'll continue to show who he is. Uh... And some of us will ignore that, and some of us will acknowledge that and then and run to him for that. And that's my hope, is that you would see him for who he is, see how, how good he is, how powerful he is, how much he wants you to be free, and that it doesn't take, like, huge drastic measures for him to catch your attention and, and get you to understand that. Um, but he also loves you enough that if that's what it takes, he'll do that, too. Uh, but the whole point is to ha- so that you could be free, free from sin and free to, to live the life um, that he created you to live.